This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Throughout history, the spirit of Satan has taken on many forms and disguises, but man's recorded history gives him away. Using various symbols of Satan throughout the ages, Dr. Douglas Hamp explains where man's enemy has been and what he's planning for his final deception, because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Did you know that there are symbols in ancient writings that all go back to one evil being, regardless of what they look like? Tonight, Dr. Douglas Hamp explains where man's enemy has been, what he's been up to, what he's been planning for his final deception, which includes you. But for right now, let's go into the present on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. It is the third Shabbat of the fifth month, of the sixth month, that is. Uh, there is still plenty of time to get this calendar, by the way. Just because we're six months in doesn't mean there's only six months left. This goes way into the future, 18 months long. So if you have not ordered a brand new batch, uh, ordered from our brand new batch, that is, uh, there's one ready for you and it's ready to ship right now. You can get yours at arudawakening.tv slash calendar. Now, please welcome my co-host for this evening, the Chief Operating Officer of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Scott, thanks for allowing me to be here today. This is just gonna be incredible, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Hemp is gonna rock this world today. Oh my goodness, there are some controversial, sub yes. controversial subjects we are talking about here, but you know what? This is a time for controversy. All, all, all uh, holds barred is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, yeah. no holds barred. We're just gonna go for it because we, you know, folks need to know stuff right now, and there's all kinds of censorship out there. We need to get out what we can get out while we can get it out. You know, Scott, this is the thing: the enemy comes to kill and destroy and destroy your life. And so you've got to know the enemy. And I'm just so thankful for Dr. Hemp for coming in and showing us and allowing us to get a glimpse of what the enemy is trying to do to us today. So this is a very special time, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the only way we can do this, Ted, on the stage is, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, donations and things like that with the, the love gift, which we'll get into in just a second here, and the uh, the calendar, what we talked about. Sure. So, so we have these things sure. we we sell, and people say, why do you sell things? Well, how do you expect to make money for a ministry if you don't sell some things? So that, right. that's some things we do, well, and donations as well. Well, you know, Scott, here's the deal. I would love to call on one of those great billionaires out there to drop a little bit of those billions here because we're doing something good. We're doing something that cannot be duplicated anywhere else. We're spreading the truth, the truth of Yeshua throughout the world. And But unfortunately, it costs money to do that, it Scott. Does. It yep. really does. I mean, just, just this taping alone, just the streaming that you're watching now, you may be receiving it free, on YouTube or Facebook or the michaelrood.tv app, 
but there is a huge cost involved in all of that, mm -hmm. and we have to pay it each and every month. So once again, we wanna thank our Ambassador Club members, our executive producers who help us to produce things like the Chronological Gospel mm -hmm. Season 3, which is coming soon, and ladies and gentlemen, our partners. You are partners. We can't thank you enough for helping to get this gospel around the world because without you, we certainly could not do this. Indeed, and uh, you know we, we do some fundraising and things like that, but that's not what we wanted to really talk about here. Everybody knows we need to do fundraising, but sure. it's the, we wanted to thank folks, number one, who, who support the ministry, but number two, those folks who talk to you on the phone. Yes. So it's the ministry part that is you know, the most important part of the ministry of what we do, and those right. are the folks who uh, you know, answer your calls, the people who send out this type of stuff, who just pray with you on the phone, who uh, you know, take your praise reports and, and just thank God with you, and so we want to give a shout out to our partner services team. Yes, we do, under the leadership of uh, David, mm -hmm. who does just a fantastic job, ladies and gentlemen. David Robinson is such a blessing to this ministry. And David, we could not do this without you. We thank mm. you once again. But then it's the partner services folks, our dear Angie. Oh, yes. Angie does a great job. Head of the Tiffin, Ambassador Club. Head of the Ambassador Club, does a fantastic job praise with folks like you would not believe. Uh, Tiffany, mm -hmm. who also goes and prays with folks, who helps us uh, with all manner of things in the partner services And department. some people don't know that she did our makeup for the show. That's right, I mean, that's how broad-based <laughs> she is. Yeah, we told everybody her you helps can't, out. We told her you can't do miracles with these two faces, but at least we thank you for that. But also people like Matt, uh, Matt, Matt no. Weimer, he just does such a great, Matt Weimer is such a knowledge base on Hebrew roots, ladies and gentlemen. He is just awesome. You, you wanna talk about, okay, well, who proofs this thing? At, you might be wondering, who, who, mm -hmm. who goes through all the details and makes sure that's right? Matthew is one of the guys, one of the very few guys who can make sure that we're doing the right thing with the calendar. That's where his expertise comes in, and so that's his blessing to this ministry and to you to know Absolutely. what's going on and how this whole calendar works. Yeah. What's going really? What, what's going on uh, deep in the Hebrew roots world? That's Matt. Absolutely. You know. Scott, we have such a wonderful team here. It's hard to single out individuals like this, but like let's say Ressi, for example, oh, in, Ressi, our, yeah. in our fulfillment department. Ressi does a, Ressi is a one-person Amazon, ladies and gentlemen. She literally she is. She goes out and she makes sure that you get your stuff in a timely fashion. We thank Carol, uh -huh. uh, who is our procurement person, and mm -hmm. also she does our duplication here so that everybody can have the videos, mm -hmm. does a fantastic job with that. And it, I could just go on and on, Avia. ladies and gentlemen. Let's not forget about Avia. Avia. Avia does a great job. Avia answers our phones, talks to our partners, prays with our partners uh, if they need prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, if you need prayer, if you need to talk with someone and ask a question, call our partner services department today and you'll get those uh, questions answered. Indeed. So you might be thinking, wow, you guys listed off a lot of names. That's just one department. That's one department. You know, they say, Ted, so, you know, you've got a, a huge thing going on here being the chief operating officer. No, I'm just the conductor. The symphony happens behind the cameras with all of our production folks and, and the lighting folks, audio folks, directors, producers, editors. Uh, it just goes on and on. The, the web people, the IT folks. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have enough time here to say <laughs> everybody, but we thank everybody 
that's on staff here at A Rude Awakening because we couldn't do it without them. Yeah, indeed. It takes a village to make it happen and it takes a larger village, i.e. you, to make it happen yeah. uh, funding-wise. And yes. just to, so and you bless us every time you uh, say, hey, I've, I found Michael Rude and my life changed. Indeed. We love to hear those stories. So yes. would you share your story, by the way? Go to rudeawakening.tv slash Testimony. Yes. And, and, but if you have a prayer request, if something's going on in your family that you don't know where else to turn, we'd be glad to pray with you. And in fact, those who are watching this can actually pray with you. If you go to rootawakening.tv slash prayer yes. and you put your prayer request up there, if someone prays for you, uh, they could just check, I prayed for this, and you'll get a notification that someone other than anybody at the mystery here actually prayed for you Absolutely out, out right. there. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't really want to talk to anybody. I, I just have a simple request and I want to make it. Make it online. Yeah. Do it on the website at, uh, where was that again now? Arudeawakening.tv slash prayer. Okay, yep. wonderful. You can do that and you can get your prayer into our prayer wall and people will pray with you. Indeed, yeah, and we see you have testimonies all the time on Facebook as well. Oh, yeah, all, our, all the time. Yeah, and we have so, all kinds of social media channels. You can find those on our website as well. So. Yeah. All right, thank you, Ted. Yes, sir. All right, so Dr. Douglas Hamp explains where man's enemy has been, what he's been planning for his final deception. It is the third of four episodes of Satan, the Ancient Enemy, coming up. What is it about being human that makes us so prideful? Where does it come from? Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals man's deception of pride that has been building since the Tower of Babel and how to escape the final deception, the image of the beast. I really see that the, the image of the beast is going to be where you're not only transformed genetically, biologically, but now your mind is part of a hive network. From transgenderism to transhumanism, Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals how man's arrogance challenges Yehovah's perfection and leads to destruction. But the only way to watch this special teaching is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Image of the Beast on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you the image of the beast, plus a ram's horn shofar, the original call to worship in ancient Israel. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you the image of the beast, the ram's horn shofar, and a beautiful parchment scroll printed with Isaiah 53, complete with a handsome carrying case. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends August 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of year again, Yom Teruah 2021. 
the temple, the trumpets, and the end time tribulation. And all three of those things have something to do with each other. We're gonna have plenty of guests. They're gonna talk about how each of these things play into one another, especially during this time. Not to mention, it's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Now right? we're experiencing all we are in the world today. Uh, we're gonna be talking about Afghanistan, what's happening there, what's happening all over the world, what's happening with the end times, what's happening with the virus all kinds of crazy stuff. And Scott, when and where can they go to watch this? All right, so this is September 10th and 11th. We're gonna start with Shabbat Night Live on the Friday, and then all day Saturday, you can go to Yom Teruah 2021 to sign up. It is free, there's no cost for this. It's only gonna be streaming, it's only gonna be on the app, it will not be on YouTube. You will be able to get it on DVD and Blu-ray later, but if you wanna watch it live, you have to go to Yom Teruah 2021 uh, com and sign up. It is free. Ladies and gentlemen, Yom Teruah 2021. Don't miss it. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said that David, King David, was a prophet who saw beforehand the coming of the Messiah. He saw that his son, the Messiah, would be the Kohen Gadol forever after the order of the Melech Zadik. And Yeshua, ordained as the Melech Zadik, as the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, brought forth bread and wine in Yeshua. On the night in which he was betrayed, brought forth bread and wine and interpreted the very thing that Abraham saw so many generations before. Yeshua took bread and he spoke this blessing. Baruch atah Yehovah elam heinu melech ha'olam. Homotzi lechem min ha'aretz. And he broke the bread and he said, this broken bread represents my broken body, which will be broken for you. By my stripes, you will be healed. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm paying the price. Then he took the wine and he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam. Barei pari ha'gafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, creator of the heavens and the earth and the creator of the fruit of the vine. And he said, this represents the renewed covenant, which will be paid for in my blood. As often as you break this bread and you drink this cup, you exhibit what I've done for you because I am making you priest and kings. I'm paying the price. Shabbat Shalom, priests and kings. If you own a Honda car, you know that there's a symbol on the front of that car, it's an H, looks something like this. Now, I'm not giving the sign of the Illuminati, stop it right now, okay, so there's stop that nonsense. What I'm gonna do is give you another symbol of another car called an Acura. Well, the Acura is an A, and all it is is the Honda logo kind of skewed at a distance and it makes an A shape, and that's because both of those car companies are the same company. Now, I say this because way back in the past, we have 
names like Nimrod and Satan and all of these different symbols of these characters we see way back in ancient history, could it be that they are all the same thing? Are we talking about the same character, the same spirit here? Someone who can help us explain this is Dr. Douglas Hamp with his new book, Corrupting the Image. Dr. Doug, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for having me. So Nimrod, uh, before the cameras came on, you were telling me that there is this Nimrod is just the beginning. There's all kinds of history left, right, and center of this name. So can you explain to us Nimrod's name? What, how is this so complicated? It seems so simple. Well, it, it really is simple uh, once you understand the keys, right? Once you have the key, you can open the door. And understanding the name Nimrod, Nimrod means let's rebel. All right, so I find it really hard to imagine that any parent is going to name their son Let's Rebel. <laughs> <laughs> That's just opening trouble for when they become two years I old. I mean, right? even a mafia boss doesn't <laughs> want his kids to rebel, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do what I tell you, right? So, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But what happened is really the Bible did a deliberate distortion of his name. Hmm. So the Bible is telling us this guy is the rebel. But in the ancient world, he was known as Nin Urta. And Nin Urta is Lord of the Earth. And pretty much what God is telling us is, no, you're not God of the Earth. Hmm. You're just the rebel, right? And what's fascinating is that in Genesis, it talks about how Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And it's kind of like, well, okay, was this guy just really good with the bow and arrow? And God's like, wow, he's really a good shot. (laughs) Or was something else going on? I, I find it hard to believe that God's like, well, he can really shoot well. I mean... I don't know, it just seems strange to me. But could there be something else that was happening? And then we're also given another clue, is that he became a gibor. He became a, um, you know, he became a, a hero, is really what the word is there. Okay. He became a, a mighty one, if you will. So if you look at the word gibor, if you look at that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, it, has the, it uses the word gigas, and gigas is from the word giant. Hmm. Right, So they really understood that he didn't just become some variation on a man. He became something more. He became a hybrid. And uh, the, the word gigas is used for like the titans and other things. Right, So they, they really understood this, that this was, uh, he went on, underwent a, a dramatic transformation. Hmm. You know, so in, in, our, in some of the previous uh, shows that we've talked about where uh, Satan was, you know, doing this whole thing before the flood. He had the Nephilim, et cetera, and all that went down the drain in the flood. So after the flood, he needs a new program. And the new program starts with one individual who is Nimrod, the rebel, who becomes known as the God of the earth or the Lord of the earth. But how does he undergo this transformation? Mm. So before the flood, S- Satan had sent those 200 angels and then they uh, mated with women, and they procreated these uh, these Nephilim. Well, that's out, okay? That's that's old tech, right? So now <laughs> Satan's on to something new where he focuses on Nimrod, and he, he basically makes this person into a god. Hmm. And the process, what I would suggest is that in a way similar to how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and mm-hmm. thereby imparted the DNA necessary for the, the zygote of Jesus to form in her womb. We have maybe a similar uh, scenario. And there's something that's pretty crazy that happened. This came out maybe two years ago, where this guy named Chris out of Reno, Nevada, was, uh, he needed a bone marrow transplant. He had leukemia. So a nice person from Germany donated some bone marrow. 
And uh, some people in a laboratory were tracking Chris to see what would happen to him genetically. And what they discovered is that after a certain number of months, uh, the DNA that in his uh, in his red blood cells had changed, so it wasn't his; it was his that of his donors. And then after about four months, the DNA in his sperm was not his anymore; it belonged to that of his donor. And you know, Chris and, and the laboratory are on record saying, you know, this is pretty crazy that Chris can disappear genetically, and now the donor exists in him. This is really mm. weird, okay? But this is all documented. This mm. has happened. And so what I would suggest is that we have, a, in a way, a similar situation where Satan took possession of Nimrod, that he, he would have possessed him, just like how he possessed Judas. And I, and I would suggest that if this relationship were, uh, were to continue, that there could be an impartation of Satan's genetic material. Remember we talked about how it says in Genesis 3.15, I will cause enmity between you and the woman between your seed mm. and her seed. So Satan has seed. Satan has seed, mm. right? And, and this is one of these perplexing questions that I answer in <coughs> Corrupting Image Volume 1. What is a seed? A seed is just information. And information is a non-material entity that requires a physical medium. So when you understand that it's information, right? It's no different than sending an email. That's information. It's a little packet of information that we send through the wires or send it through the air or you know, some other means. It's the communication of information. So Satan's information was then passed on to this person known as Nimrod. Now, you may say, okay, well, that's interesting. That happened back in the past. But wait, <laughs> in the book of Revelation, it talks about the beast who was, who is not, and who will ascend out of the abyss. So mm. what I see there is that, I mean, the beast is clearly, it's, it's Nimrod, okay? So- Nimrod or the spirit of Nimrod or? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay. that, that's a fair question. That's really a fair question. So let me just back up just a second, sure. okay? So okay. Um, we, we talked about the woman that rides the beast, mm -hmm. right? And there was a cylinder seal from about 2200 BC where, uh, where uh, Inanna Ishtar, she is, is standing naked on the back of this Anzu bird or the, the beast. That beast is both Enlil and it's Ninurta. You may say, well, wait a second, which mm -hmm. one is it? Yes, <laughs> it's both, okay, that's the thing. Because there was a merger of those two. Hmm. So when you started talking about Ninurta, you were talking about Enlil. Because there was really a merger of those two. And we even see this in the ancient literature, hmm. that you know, Enlil held the tablet of destinies, that's what gave him authority and control over the world. But then somehow Ninurta is holding the tablet of destinies. Hmm. How is that? And it was even said in the ancient literature that Ninurta was the son of Enlil, right? And then we see in the New Testament, the son of perdition, right? Mm. So we, we see these themes again and again. And what I would suggest is that Nimrod started as a man, he started as a basic human, but then he upgraded. He became a gibor, he became a hybrid, so that he became Satan's own avatar. So when you start talking about Ninurta or Nimrod, you're really talking about Satan sort of in the flesh, 
if you will. It, it becomes his agent in this world by which he can do things. We, we talked about in a, in a previous show, we talked about how Satan needs some kind of a portal to get through to interact in this world. And that's what Nimrod became. He became a, a portal for him to do that. And then we see Nimrod did some, some, some bad things, right? We have the, the Tower of Babel. Now it's somewhat disputed whether he was the person exactly responsible. But the, you know they're pretty close in the text. And I think it's hard to get away from the idea that, that he had no role to play. I think he had a very big role. In fact, the, the rabbis, if you start looking in the Babylonian Talmud, they talk about how the Tower of Babel was uh, really a creation of Satan or of Nimrod, excuse me. And again, when we understand that he is the rebel, right? Mm -hmm. He's the rebel. And the Tower of Babel is about that rebellion. The, the system, the Babylonian system, Mystery Babylon, that is the system, this rebellious system that God is still pretty upset about and he's promised to destroy. It all started back there. Mm -hmm. And it started with the merging, the merging of Satan and Nimrod into this, this kind of new being. He's the beast that was, that is not in John's day, and then will ascend out of the abyss in the, at the end of this age. Mm. You know, we talked again in previous episodes about equal and opposite stories. So you have Yeshua coming down from heaven, being a man, both man and Yehovah, right. and now again, going up to heaven and coming back down, it's the opposite. Satan comes up through, uh, right. possesses Nimrod, and now again will ascend out of the abyss, whereas Yeshua is coming from above. Right, exactly. It's a mirror image. Yeah, and you know when we think about what does Satan really have to offer people? I mean, God has all the good stuff. Right? <laughs> God has life. There's pleasures at His right hand forevermore, and mm -hmm. you know, you name it. It's really good. But Satan has counterfeits of that, and he can offer pleasure in a perverted kind of way. Mm -hmm. But the ultimate thing, you know, even uh, the most hardened criminal knows that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul, right? Everybody knows this, it's like, wait, so I'm the richest guy in the world, but if I still die, who wants to be the richest guy in the cemetery, mm -hmm. right? So what Satan has to offer people is this lure of immortality, not mm -hmm. real immortality, but a, a version of immortality. And so, you know, just kind of putting the pieces together, it seems that he offered to Nimrod that he could become a god. He mm. could become immortal if this merger were to take place. And of course, it did take place. And what we see is that Ninurta, the, the lord of the earth, he then is known by various different names. He's known as Marduk, for example. Uh, he's known as Baal, he, who we talked about, Melkart. Mm -hmm. And Heracles, that is also, well, it's both Enlil and Ninurta, right? That's, that's the trick, right? Is that mm. it's talking about both of those. And yet that, that motif of the hero takes us right back to Nimrod, who was the Gibor, mm. who was the hero, right? So he really does become immortal. And in the book, I talk about how, uh, you know, Gilgamesh, uh, is probably a, another manifestation of, of Ninurta. Hmm. And he's looking for immortality, right? And he goes apparently back to Utnapishtim, who apparently is Noah, and he's like, how do I become immortal? Right? Hmm. He, he's, he's looking for this. Uh, and he's a guy who's probably about 18 feet tall. Um, 
And, you know, so he's on this quest to become immortal and to gain fame, fame for himself. Uh, Heracles means the fame of Hera, right? Mm-hmm. So all roads take us back to either Satan or Ninurta, and we see that in the Bible it shows us the, the connection between those two, as we also see in the ancient literature that there is a connection between those two. Hmm. So this is all, is it a, a spirit behind all this that sort of takes on many manifestations through the ages, or, or, or what exactly are we talking about here? Is it, is it Nimrod, or is it a spirit of Nimrod? Or Well, insofar as Satan's information uh, took over Nimrod, I would argue that it's gonna be the same information. So whether or not Nimrod the man is going to be resurrected someday, <laughs> I find that hard to, to buy. Uh, but I would suggest that the same information that he got from Satan that made him immortal, that same information will then be placed in a new man, a, a modern man, who will then become the same embodiment ah. of Nimrod. So we can use this as uh, as folks may be watching this thinking, well, why are you talking about all about Satan? This isn't supposed to be a show about Yehovah and Yeshua. Yes, it is, but what good sports team does not watch their opponent on a film before they go and oppose them on the field? Right. Right. We need to know our enemy. We need to know what they're up against. And, and in this case, it seems kind of obvious that the play is already there. We know what he's going to do. Right. And we just need to pay attention, learn from folks like yourself who's, who've had this mantle to... Uh, to study it and know what our enemy is up against. So, um, so Nimrod became a chimera. Sorry, a gibor. No, uh, uh, chimera. It's in chapter ten. A chimera. About, a chimera. Oh, yeah. a chimera. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't sure how to pronounce that. So. Uh, <laughs> Have we covered that? I'm sort of lost on the well, names here. So did you... <laughs> I understand. So a chimera is a hybridized creature. Okay, okay. Right. It so is. that's, okay, that's a right. Greek word for a hybridized creature. Uh, right. So yeah, so he, when he became the gibor, okay. he became a hybrid. Ah, okay. okay so yes. hybrid, gibor, chimera, they're all basically the same thing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Very good. So now, Gilgamesh, you said was 18 feet tall? Yes. So now how... Where do we get this, and uh, how, how does that compare to, like, say, Noah's time and, and the Nephilim and, and all this? Is there any kind of connection there? Right. Well, so um, it's um, it's in the ancient literature where we, okay. we find out uh, the, the features of, of Gilgamesh. And um, he, his, his name, first of all, means the, the ancient hero. Okay. Right? So even his name is hero, right? Um, and so 18 feet tall is quite comparative to what we'd find when we start looking at uh, King Og of Bashan, we're told that he was nine cubits. And if we base that, since I think you know Moses was coming out of Egypt, uh, an Egyptian royal cubit was 20.63 inches. Mm-hmm. So that would make him you know, about 15 feet tall. So Gilgamesh was, you know, at least three feet taller. Goodness. Than, I mean, uh, Goliath looked like a shrimp. Yeah, Goliath to... <laughs> was a mere 12 feet tall, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> right, or, you know, 11, something like that. But, you know, yeah, so, so again, just going back to the ancient literature, we can mm-hmm. find these. So in the Enuma Elish, right, it talks about Gilgamesh and, and his quest for immortality and these different things. So the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know about those things, but it, it gives us a lot of hints, it gives us clues, it gives us some of the names that refer to these different things that help us to uh, get a sense of what's happening. Okay, so the meaning of Og. Tell me the meaning of, of Og, of Bashan. Ah, yes, 
Well, so, you know, in the show before, we talked about how that symbol Bad, B-A-D, mm-hmm. we found that on, in that inscription at, at Mount Hermon. Well, that, that name means death, mm. right? And <clears throat> it's kind of like the letter H. We never pronounce H. We say hotel and hello, right? right. But we don't say H-L-O or something like that, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's the name of the symbol, but it's not how the symbol sounds. So bad is the name of the symbol, but it's not how you would pronounce the symbol. The symbol itself was ush, which means death. Mm-hmm. And then how you use that in context, it could be ug. And so ug, meaning death, yeah. uh, if, if you then transliterate that into Hebrew, it comes out as og. And uh, so once again, we see that og was related uh, to death. And this takes us then to the iniquity of the Amorites. Uh, you know, it's this really weird thing. You know, God's like, hey, uh, Abraham, by the way, you know, your descendants are going to be slaves, and, but in the fourth generation, I'm going to bring them out because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And you're like, what are you talking about, mm-hmm. God? Right? Well, so first of all, an Amorite became a generalized term for hybrid, for Nephilim. Oh. Right? Okay. So in, in Numbers 13, uh, it says that, you know, we went into the 12 spies and we went into the land and, you know, they thought we looked like grasshoppers and we felt like grasshoppers, right? And so there's giant people in the land. It says that the, the sons of Anak are in the land and they're the mm-hmm. sons of the Nephilim who are in the land of Canaan. And then we see in Amos uh, chapter 2, Two, he says, uh, 2 verse 9, he says, Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorites, whose height was like the cedars. Mm. So God himself is telling us that they were really big people in the land of Canaan. And he says mm. that they were Amorites. So the Amorites were the, this Nephilim race, but they didn't start out as Nephilim. So how did they become Nephilim? How did they become hybrids? Right. Well, when we start looking at the God of the Amorites, his name was Martu, and he was just another manifestation of Enlil or Ninurta, right? So mm. we keep seeing that all roads go back there again, right? And, and so once again, uh, even the, you know, the term Martu is very similar to Nimrod, right? So if we start looking at just the, the base continents, you have MRT or MRD, uh, and so we have you know, Martu, Nimrod, this even takes us to uh, the into Roman times when we have the god uh, Mars or Martus, mm, okay. right? So again, we see that MRT, right? Those same letters keep showing up, and that takes us back to Nimrod. So, what I would suggest is that the the Amorites wanted to become gods. They were sold on this package of you know upgrade to a god package, right? <laughs> they're like, yes, we'll take it, <laughs> and and so then. You know, then this this transformation began to happen in them. It wasn't complete when God was talking to Abraham. And so God is patient. God gives people an opportunity to choose what they're going to do. And he's like, okay, you guys are going to do this? Okay, that's fine. And, you know, and it might even be that, uh, you know, Satan's like, hmm, God's talking to Abraham. He's going to take him to Canaan. I'm going to have a housewarming gift when he shows up, right? And so when the children of Israel come to the land, they find it overrun mm-hmm. with these, these giants. Uh, they find, in particular, King Og of Bashan. By the way, I didn't mention this, but 
going back to the whole idea of Satan being a snake or a serpent, mm-hmm. uh, the term Bashan comes from the Akkadian Bashmu, and Bashmu means snake dragon. Ah. All right, and I've got pictures of that in the book, right? So what a, a Bashmu actually looks like. Okay. And that's just another variation on a theme. And we talked about the Ushumgalu, which is the great dragon. We talked about the Anzu bird, which is that hybridized creature, which is the beast that the woman's riding. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I, I know it can be like, wow, there's like so many wires that can get crossed. I get it, because it's really possible to cross your wires. But once you kind of just get a sense of, oh, all these are just variations on that same guy, Satan, and what he's been up to. So what we see then is that the Amorites became Nephilim, and then King Og, king of the snake dragons, right? He becomes uh, their their champion, if you will. He, he's the god of death. And what's his headquarters? It's on Mount Hermon. Hmm. All right. And we have Ugaritic texts that tell us about a uh, a king of uh, a king of death whose headquarters are on Hermon, but also has uh, headquarters in Ashtoreth and Edre, just like the Bible says. Wow. And yet we find this in the text of Ugarit, right? So, it, you know, it's not just the Bible is just writing stuff and people are on some weird, you know, trip, you know, that they're doing some <laughs> drugs or something. <laughs> I've heard people say, oh, no, Moses was just taking drugs or something like that. <laughs> it's nonsense. I mean... No, this was all steeped in reality. It's steeped in history. Mm. It's steeped in real geography. You can go to these places. And Mount Hermon is the place where the 200 angels came down according to the direction of Satan. And then they set up a new headquarters under King Og of Bashan. And it's no accident that Jesus is going to take his disciples there at a later time and declare it to be his own. Okay, we're going to come back to that. This is a fascinating... Uh, story here. Okay, so we are with uh, Dr. Doug Hamp. Thank you for joining us, Doug. And uh, thank you for bringing him here. It is only because of your support that we can bring him here with uh, for Shabbat Night Live. And uh, we want to thank you for your support. Uh, we're going to ask you now that you would consider uh, supporting Shabbat Night Live. We'll give you a couple minutes to think about that. Thank you. Thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were talking with our guest, Dr. Douglas Hamp, about all things Nimrod and how all of these symbols kind of intertwine in the Tower of Babel. And uh, we've talked before about how uh, there's an equal and opposite to what Satan does. He tries to copy the good and and trick us into thinking that is the good when actually it's a bad. So all of these uh, creatures or beings uh, that have uh, been been like Satan or Satan has uh, imparted that they've tried to be like God, like Satan did originally. He wasn't satisfied with being the, the chief steward of Jehovah. He wanted to be Jehovah. Right. And that's kind of the spirit behind the Tower of Babel. It was supposed to be a tower to heaven and man was going to ascend himself to be like God. And so you say in chapter 12 of your book, it was called, a, uh, you call it a dimensional gateway. So this was more than just some <laughs> temple or something. Yeah. This was meant to be something greater. Tell us about the dimensional gateway of the Tower of Babel. Right. So, you know, again, part of the, part of the issue is that when we, when we come to the Bible, it already has this meaning of confusion. But it's, it's kind of like the word Chernobyl, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, is it, what does Chernobyl mean, right? I mean... It has a meaning, I won't get into that. But we think, oh, that's a nuclear uh, crisis, right? That yeah. was a, and, and that's kind of what it's become. So 
Babel has become sort of the Chernobyl of the ancient world, right? Mm, okay. they, they intended it, and the name itself means something different. It doesn't just mean confusion. It actually means gate of the gods. Bab ilu hmm, okay. means gate of the gods. So it's a gateway. Like That was the very intention of it. And as we were saying before, Satan has only a limited amount of things that he can do on the other side of the veil. Mm. Right? He's, he's kind of stuck in that spiritual realm, but he, he's the king of this realm, right? So he wants to have influence. So how does he do that? He needs some kind of a portal. And that's what the gate, that's what uh, the, the gate of the gods, Babel, really became. Mm. And, you know, you start looking at the Bible and, it, you know, they say, uh, you know, let's make a city, let's build a city for ourselves and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And, you know, just from reading this, you're like, well, they were going to try to build something up to the, the dome in the sky, but that's not what they were thinking. They did not have any misconceptions to think that there was some roof up there and they were going <laughs> to build their tower tall enough to, to get up there. But they understood it to be a, a bridge between these two. So uh, Andrew George, in his book, he says that they considered it to be a bridge between the lowermost and uppermost levels of the cosmos, Hmm. And and some of the some of the different names of the various ziggurats. So we're talking about a ziggurat, right? So hmm. that's kind of a step pyramid that we're talking about. And some of the names of them are Temple of the Foundation of Heaven and Earth, Temple of the Wielder of the Seven Decrees of Heaven and Earth, Temple of the Stairway of Pure Heaven, Temple of the Ziggurat Exalted Dwelling Place, uh, another one of the Exalted Mountain, Temple of Exalted Splendor, Temple of the Foundation of Heaven and Earth, and then Temple which links heaven and earth. Hmm. Now, have we ever heard of this idea of some link between heaven and earth? Well, of course we have, right? In Jacob's dream, right, he puts his head down on a rock and he, he dreams and he's seeing these angels ascending and descending on a ladder, which Jesus would later say that he's the ladder, hmm. right? So there was already this sense that there needed to be some kind of a communication between the two. And in... Um, you know, in the ziggurat was also called a bond of union whose purpose was to assure communication between earth and heaven, a giant stepladder by means of which a man may ascend as near as possible to the sky. Mm -hmm. Right. So they didn't think, again, they didn't think they're going to hit the blue stuff up there. Right. They were trying to ascend to that other realm between these mm -hmm. two. And it may not have been so much as, you know, going up in elevation, but they, they uh, understood that they were going to somehow build a gateway. And, um, you know, this is really a kind of a counterfeit of Jacob's ladder. And, um, you know, but it's interesting that Jesus says that the angels were ascending and descending on the Son of Man, mm. right? He says, you know, you're going to see the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. In other words, he is the connection point between these two realms. But that's exactly what Satan wanted to paint himself as, he said that he was the bond between these two and that it was not, uh, it's not God, it's not Jesus. But if you want to have communication with the gods, you've got to go through him. Mm. And the Tower of Babel would have been that. <clears throat> so there's, there's a Tower of Babel from Satan's perspective and there's a Tower of Babel from man's perspective. So from man's perspective, this is a way to connect with the other realm and to, to gain access to the gods. From Satan's perspective, this is a way to gain access to this realm. 
And you know, so he always has to sugarcoat it. There has to be a lure for the fish to bite, right? Mm -hmm. So to bite the hook, there's got to be a lure. And uh, so the, the tower would serve as that function. Hmm. And um, I, I think part of it is, you know, we have to kind of go into understanding what do other or what do other dimensions consist of. And this is always difficult because we exist in three and to try to imagine anything more. But there's something called a tesseract. And a tesseract is uh, a four-dimensional cube, <laughs> all right? And so kind of think of a cube, and then there's a, a bigger cube on the outside of that. We see this in the, uh, well, in, moder in, in Hollywood, we see this in the Thor movies. Um, right. And, right. Uh, and the, uh, yeah, the, those whole things, the Avengers movies. Right, sure. right. Yeah, okay. yeah, they have a tesseract, right? Yeah. Well, there really is such a thing as a tesseract. Okay. <laughs> But it's not, you know, it's not just a device, but it's a, it's a, it's a dimension, right? So there's, there's a dimension that's overlaid on ours, right? We cannot see it. We can't get to it through our normal means. Mm. People have been able to get to it. In fact, we'll all get there one day. We just have to wait and die. That's, that's one way to get to that other dimension. Another one that I don't recommend uh, is through drugs, uh, through various satanic rituals. You can open the gateway to that other dimension. That makes a lot of sense. Just, uh, just to stop you for a second, yeah. it, uh, reminiscent of the Led Zeppelin song from, you know, is the stairway to heaven. Right. All about you know, a drug-induced uh, song. Is what that exactly, is. right. Yeah, so there are other ways to do it, but they're not recommended. Yeah, no. <laughs> they're not recommended at all. And so this is, in a sense, what that tower uh, was all about, was, was connecting these two. And I, I suggest, you know, as we continue to study uh, physics and various things, quantum physics and whatnot. You know, we're discovering things like wormholes. Um, mm. You know, we don't have uh, tangible proof of these things, but we have mathematical proof. These are uh, conclusions of various theorems and, and they make sense. And I think mm. that science is, is discovering, you know, in, in an empirical sense, we're discovering what the ancients knew in a more of a mystical sense. So Satan is really trying to, uh, to, to combine these two um, uh, as, he, uh, as he does this. You know, there's, there's a guy named uh, Gordy Rose. He's the CTO of D-Wave Systems, which is a quantum computer company. And he, he, he has this talk where he's talking about their, their computer. And he says that, you know, a quantum computer is different because... Unlike a normal conventional computer, you have either a one or a zero. It's on or off, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's the basic of a computer, on or off. But in a quantum computer, you can have both on and off, one and zero at the same time, mm. right? And it's like, wait, how does that work, right? And <clears throat> so he goes on to say, he says, uh, in quantum computer, that device can be in this strange situation where these two parallel universes have a nexus a point in space where they overlap. So the way I think about it is that the shadows of these parallel worlds overlap with ours, and if we're smart enough, we can dive into them and grab their resources and pull them back into ours to make an effect in our world. And you're like, wait, did he just say that? <laughs> I thought you were talking about quantum computers. He is. But this is the same kind of terminology, right? That hmm. there's creating a, a nexus point. Now, whether quantum computers can do that is another discussion. But he seems to believe that they can do that, that they somehow will create a connection point between the two. 
And, and that seems to be what the Tower of Babel was, uh, at, you know, in, in a sense. Like, that's what, that's what it was, was to, um, to create this, this opening between the two. You know, we, we spoke of the, uh, the, the pyramids at Chichen Itza in Cancun, Mexico. And I remember when my wife and I went to tour of these places, they, I didn't realize this, but the number of stairs on those is very significant. And they, there was a specific number of stairs and it, and it faced a specific direction because of the stars and the alignment of the sun and all that kind of thing. So it was very mathematical. I mm-hmm. mean, it was, it's probably the same type of thing, trying to reach a higher consciousness and the whole right. uh, human sacrifice, all this type of thing, with the blood that we've spoken of before. All of these things tie into Satan giving ideas to man as to how to ascend. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, and, and it was also not only that, but there is um, there's evidence that the Mesopotamians understood that it was God that scrambled the languages. Hmm. Uh, and, and so they have this in the Epic of Gilgamesh. It talks about how the building of this temple offended the gods, and a night they threw down what had been built, they scattered them abroad and made strange speeches, or made strange speech, yeah, speech and the progress impeded. Now, this doesn't make any wow. sense, right? Because why would the Babylonian be, gods be upset by a ziggurat dedicated to them, right? Yeah. And they're not, of course. They're not upset about it. But we see this in the ancient world where, you know, something happens um, and then it's, it's, it's explained kind of, kind of a mystical, theological way within that society's, you know, understanding. But the Bible says, no, this is what really happened. <laughs> Okay, so the Bible tells us that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that scattered the languages and did all this stuff. But they're saying, okay, it happened, but this is our explanation as to why it happened. It's all the same. It's an extra biblical source that tells exactly. us the same story. I didn't realize there was another record of this. Yeah, and, and in fact, there are several. That, that's just one of them. But um, uh, there's another Babylonian inscription that says that Babylon corruptly proceeded to sin, and both small and great mingled in, on the mound. All day they founded their stronghold, but in the night he put a complete stop to it. In his anger, he also poured out his secret counsel to scatter them abroad. He set his face, he gave a command to make foreign their speech. Wow. Right? And, and, I've, and I've got more as well. Right? So huh. they, they understood that the whole world spoke as one, and then something happened where they offended somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know who that was. And that, that person was offended, and then he, he confused their languages and scattered them mm. over the face of the earth. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and not only that, but we have uh, evidence from Nebuchadnezzar himself, right? Both his father and Nebuchadnezzar say that we did not build this, this, uh, this uh, ziggurat. We're simply repairing it. Hmm. That it was built 42 ages before. When, how, how long is an age? Well, yeah, that's not exactly clear how hmm. long an age is. Uh, is it the lifetime of a person? Is it, hmm. you know, 30 years? It's not clear. Right. But still, it would give you the sense that this was something that, uh, that happened quite a while before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and he says that, you know, he got involved in this. He says, I rolled up my garment, my kingly robe, and carried my uh, head bricks. Or uh, This is actually his, his dad is talking, right? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. And he says that uh, I had 
soil-baked bricks of, made of gold and silver and made Nebuchadnezzar my firstborn son, beloved of my heart, I'll carry along my workmen, earth mixed with wine. And so they're putting this whole thing together. They're trying to restore this, but they didn't build it. And, you know, so I have a little picture here of... It's on page 176 of the yeah. book. Yeah. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is restoring. Wow. He's not building, he's restoring this whole thing. And, you know, he says, a former king built it, they reckon 42 ages, but he did not complete its head since a remote time people had abandoned it without order expressing their words. Hmm. Well, that sounds just like the Bible, doesn't it? Where, you know, that the languages were confused and then everyone scattered and they stopped building the tower. And that's exactly what we have from Nebuchadnezzar and from these other ancient sources as well. Now, why would he want to rebuild it? I mean, you think this was a disastrous thing. Why would you want to rebuild that thing again? Right. Well, so at that point in his life, he was still a, uh, a fear of the king Nabu, mm-hmm. or the god Nabu. And Nabu, as you might suspect, was just another variation of Enlil, mm. right? So just as languages progress, you know, you just have a different terminology, but they all basically mean Lord or something like that. You know, Baal means Lord, etc. And so this is just another manifestation of Satan. So the, 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 the temple itself, again, is that connection point, right? So, you know, it's hard to say exactly why he wanted to do that. I, I can't get into his yeah. brain, but, uh, you know, one of the reasons is that this, whoever has the God, whoever has the seat of the God has the power, mm. right? And this is sometimes when a society would go and attack and conquer another people, they would take their gods because that was you know, who had the power. And sometimes Marduk lived over here, sometimes Marduk lived over there, but whoever had Marduk had the power. And mm. so they understood that. They wanted the, the center of power to be where they were and to please that God so that the various favors would continue to happen. Mm. It's like the seat of Satan, which uh, I guess- Exactly. That's why that was uh, captured, wow. And I know it makes all the more sense why Yehovah would go, I want a temple not made with hands. You right. are the temple. So yeah. you know, no one can touch this. Right. You know, there's no, no, it can't be destroyed. Right. And the only way you can is by opening the door to the wrong, <laughs> the and wrong I, way. I think, I think there's one more reason that Satan really wanted to build ziggurats mm-hmm. is that he used to be on God's holy mountain and he got kicked off God's holy mountain. And so I think he's trying to, you know, say something to God, you know, snub his nose at God like, oh yeah, you kick me off your mountain? I'm gonna make my own mountain. Mm. And people are gonna worship me here on this mountain and not you. Interesting. Doug, we're not done here. Would you come back for another week? We have some more of your book to go through. I'd be honored, I'd be honored. Okay, excellent, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for joining us for Shabbat Night Live. This is fascinating stuff, so keep watching. Next week, we're gonna have more with Dr. Doug Hamp. Stay with us, and until then, Shavuot Have a good week.